Hello and welcome to the What's For Dinner show, the podcast for people who put food at the centre of life. My name's Lynn and my aim, along with my guests, is to explore how our food experiences have influenced our lives as well as our waistlines. My guest this week is a lady who made a midlife decision to change her eating and exercise habits and she hasn't looked back. In fact, she now has a flourishing career where she inspires and supports others to get the health and fitness habit themselves. As a teenager and early 20s, I wouldn't say my eating was great at all, really. Um, I never did any exercise. I was quite big and weight. Me and a friend decided to try a class. It was after my the birth of my second child. We went to a step class at a local gym and I loved it. I want everyone to feel how I feel about exercise. Later, I'll be joined by Michael and together we'll ponder the implications of our favourite food news. But right now, it's my pleasure to introduce Carrie Crane from Carrie's Health and Fitness. Carrie, tell me a little bit about yourself. Okay, so I am 51 years old coming up. I run an exercise class business where I teach over 20 classes a week. I'm also a qualified personal trainer, exercise referral qualified as well. And I love my job. You do love your job. I have to declare now that I'm a regular customer of Carrie's. I've probably been going to classes for four or five years. Several maybe years, even, yeah. yeah. several years. Um, and they've been fantastic for me. So, yeah, I'm eternally grateful for your presence oh, that's in the world. that's great to hear. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you feel that your working life affects your personal health and well-being? Yeah, I mean, it certainly makes me sort of eat well and just try and live as much of as much as I can, a nice, healthy lifestyle, really. Because I know in classes, sometimes you say that you, you're lucky to do your job because it means you can eat lots. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but then saying that, I do eat well. Even though I eat a lot, I do eat quite well most of the time. So what did you do before you became a personal trainer? Is that something you've sort of done for all of your career? No, no, I it got to about 38, 39. And then I decided to qualify. So I've always been keen on exercise. Um, but it wasn't until my late 30s that I decided to actually go for the qualifications, really. Prior to that, I was just really working around the children in schools, any job I can get whilst the children were growing up, really. And so so now you're essentially you're self-employed? I am, yes. And what have you learned about yourself since you became self-employed? Um, that you can do anything really if you put your mind to it. I never thought I would be able to run a business by myself. But yeah, you can do it. If I can, anyone can. So what's most surprised you about the you know, your, your sort of life as a personal trainer and fitness instructor? Um, I just love working with the variety of people. Everybody is so different how they you know how they um work with exercise their attitudes and food and everything we're just all so different and that just makes my job really enjoyable I'm gonna ask you to cast your mind back really to when you were a child yes. you grew up in Taunton which is I where did. you did where you live have you, have you ever lived anywhere else no or? no so you're a Taunton girl I am yes <laughs> What was dinner time like at home? We all used to sit down and, and have food. Um, I wouldn't say it was great, the things we ate. <laughs> so your mum's cooking, how would you rate that? Not good at all. I just remember us living off Smash. <laughs> Smash. I don't know if they still sell that, do they? I think they, they do, <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. It, it was awful. We used to eat a lot of that and fish fingers and things. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so it, it wasn't amazing. So you'd all sit down, what, sort of weeknights and weekends? Yeah, I think life was a lot calmer back then. I don't think we were all rushing around quite as much. You know, I think we were able sort of 30, 40 years ago to be able to sit down as a family. Well, that's something I'd certainly struggle with now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I certainly remember having to be home by six o'clock for tea. To sit that, down that for mealtime, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you really couldn't deviate from that. No. I used to get home at one minute to six and rush through <laughs> yeah. the door. <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> my poor mum. I certainly don't recall eating like I do now. No, you know, I cook everything from scratch now. I, I don't recall my parents ever doing that. Is that because they were short of time or just that people didn't have the same approach to food? Yeah, I think it's very, very different now. I think we're all a little bit more kind of knowledgeable. There's a lot more, you know, help out there, isn't there? You know, internet, books and things. Maybe a bit of laziness as well from my parents. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, it's like today, not everyone is that interested in, in no. cooking food. No, yeah. no, they're yeah. not. No, sadly. And what about going to school? Did you take a packed lunch or was it school dinners? Um, I had free school meals, which I did often sell and go down the chip shop. Oh, really? Yes. You'd sell it to someone else? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Selling your free school meal voucher. Yeah, naughty, isn't I'm it? shocked. So what foods did you hate as a child? I honestly, hand on heart, I cannot think of one food that I dislike. So you would just pretty much eat what was put in front of Absolutely, you? Absolutely, yeah. And you've got three boys of your own, haven't you? Were they the same? I kind of made sure that they, they were going to be really, yeah. They eat anything I cook really now, absolutely anything. So, yeah. So how, how do you think you pulled that off? Almost not forcing them because that's not nice, is it? <laughs> um, but, but, but close to it, you know, they would say, oh, I don't think I like that. Right. You haven't tried it. You try it. And then, you know, they're not so keen. And then I probably would give it to them more. <laughs> um, so this sounds like one of your exercise classes. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it wasn't horrible, obviously, yeah. but it, it certainly worked. But also I, the, the children were all kind of brought up on fresh homemade food right from day one as soon as they were you know, able to. Yeah, so I not kind of giving them the option really other no, than to eat what has been prepared. Absolutely, yes. Mm. And then, you know, mm. and they and they never had anything else unless the plate was cleared. No pudding until you finish those no. peas. So what's your sort of go-to snacks now? Protein, anything really high in protein. I often have a protein bar. Uh, fruit, I snack on a lot. Nuts as well. I'm a big nut fan. Right, okay, yeah. A yeah. nice handful of almonds or, or a cashew nuts, that sort of thing, really. So I try and keep it as healthy as I can. Yeah, that's good. Because I often find that I still want the chocolate, even after I've had the nuts. You know, but that's probably a mental thing. It is definitely about your mindset. And yeah. often if, if I'm craving something, I just need to go out for a five minute walk around the block and I come back and it's gone. Oh, OK. That's so, a good tip. Yes, yeah. 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 It does help. You just need to take your mind off it. It's it's just all in the mind. You don't really want it. You don't need it. No. You just think you do. And so you ever tempted by the chocolate biscuit before you go to bed? I don't have it in the house. If you did, would you be tempted? Yes, yeah, I would. Yeah. And I probably wouldn't stop at one. So I don't buy that sort of stuff. I don't keep it in the house. Yeah. I mean, I, I always remember being astounded, you know, if I'd go around to sort of people's houses when the, my children were younger and they'd have a whole drawer or a cupboard <laughs> yeah. with a box in it that was full of sweets and snacks. Yeah. And I'd be like, well... 
If that was in my house, I would just be dipping into it, every, yeah. you know, every half an hour. Yeah. Thinking about willpower then, might not have the willpower to resist the chocolate bar that's in the cupboard, but we've got the, the willpower to go regularly to an exercise class or to a gym session. You know, yeah. they're, they're sort of the same thing, you know. It is the same d- thing, same really. Same sort of discipline, but yeah, yeah. one you can achieve and one is ha- harder. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they're, they're both hard, especially for a newcomer going into an exercise class. You know, it's quite scary, really, isn't it? You just think everyone's super skinny and super fit and it's not like that at all. But it's just getting people, you just need to get in the door. That's often the hardest challenge for people. Yeah, and then keep coming back through that door. Yes, but most people that I see, once they start coming, they do maintain it. Exercise needs to be part of your daily life, just like having a meal or cleaning your teeth, really. You know, there's so, so, so many different ways to exercise. You just need to find something that you enjoy and something you will, you know, maintain. So how how long do you think it could can take? I mean, obviously, like you say, everyone's different, but, you know, um, if, you, if you're advising someone, you know, well, you're going to need to do this for x amount of time before you see any real change yeah it depends what the change is i mean mentally that's pretty much instant you know um you could just obviously we all know we feel good after an exercise after after any kind of exercise so that's straight away um obviously your changes like your weight loss you know your muscle gain that can take a few weeks um so you just need to stick with it it will be worth it yeah yeah i mean i personally found that it took me a year to lose my first stone and and I didn't consciously change my diet but I probably did change my diet just as a as a result of feeling healthier yeah obviously yeah. a stone yeah mm. it's big but I think once people start seeing even if it's a pound or two off and that just gives you that encouragement to keep going doesn't it mm. then So as you grew up, did you find that you had a, um, you know, that you wanted to eat differently or, or was it not until you kind of got into the health fitness yeah, career? Yeah, it was really when I got into the exercise side of things. Mm. Yeah, as a teenager and early 20s, I wouldn't say my eating was great at all, really. Um, I never did any exercise. I was quite big and weight. It was really when I found exercise. Right. Okay. And and how did that happen then? How did you discover? Um, me exercise? and a friend decided to try a class. It was after my the birth of my second child. We went to a step class at a local gym, and I loved it. And we used to go every week. And then I thought I'll try another one, and that was it. Went from there. Then I joined a gym and never looked back. So how long do you think it took you to go from sort of, you know, beginner starting doing one step class to kind of full on, you know, it being a really sort of central part probably of your life? Probably about six months, I guess I, I was in probably when I started going to the gym, because it's one thing going to a class with a friend, you know, and I used to pick her up. So, you know, I couldn't kind of let her down. Um, but then I I got into the gym and then it was me having to motivate myself, which I found quite easy then. Yeah, I loved it. Just it was just a bit of me time, and you know, just that feeling after the workout. I, I, I was starting to really enjoy that. 
And yeah. It just grew and grew. How much weight have you, have you lost, would you say, as a result of your change in lifestyle? Um, it's more kind of um, dress size, really. Mm. I mean, I, um, I tried to slim down to get married in 1997. And I got down to a size 14 from an 18. Right. And I weighed nine stone. I'm now a dress size 8 to 10, but I weigh 12 stone. Right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's very, very different. <laughs> so that's an important thing for people to understand, isn't it? Oh, it really, really is. I keep telling people, get off the scales. You know, you need to be going by your measurements, your body fat, that sort of things, especially when you exercise, because it becomes very, very irrelevant. As you know, as, as I've just told you those stats, I weigh a hell of a lot more than I used to, but I'm an awful lot leaner. Interesting. Because I find that quite hard to believe. No, <laughs> so I'm quite very, shocked by what you've just said. No, it's very, very I was thinking, well, you know, how, how much does muscle weigh? Well, it weighs the same. Obviously, a pound of muscle is the same as a pound of fat, but mm. a pound of muscle is much smaller in size. Oh, okay. And that, yeah. so that'll mm. bring your, your kind of leanness in while people look smaller. Did you spend much of your teenage or sort of young adult life dieting? Was that something that was part of your mentality towards food? Not not until I decided to get married. Prior to that, I was quite happy being overweight, really, and, and just got on with life. Um, just used to eat what I wanted. I never exercised, but I don't recall being unhappy. But then, yeah, once I got the, the, the date for the wedding, I thought I'd best lose some weight. <laughs> <laughs> and so after you lost that weight, did it go back on you know, or, or did you manage to? No, I actually lost even more. Um, I just started cycling to work um, instead of instead of driving. And it was only a couple miles every day. And also the job I was doing, I used to have a McDonald's milkshake every day. Yes. And um, so I stopped doing that and started drinking water and the weight fell off me even more. So when you do your personal training on a one-to-one basis, is diet something that you talk about with your clients? Yes, it is. They must go together. You cannot do one without the other. Because there's obviously government guidelines nowadays on what we should and shouldn't be eating and portion size and, you know, the proportion of protein to carbs, so on and so forth. Do you work on that basis or are there other particular sort of diets that you that you think are valuable? No, I, th- I think um, what I've learned over the years, that everybody is different, how people react to different diets. I could give one to you and the next person I see could be complete, completely different and it wouldn't work for them. So, you know, we are all different and that and that is one thing that I have learned. Um, so it's just about what goals they have, what they want to get out of it, how they want to, you know, for, for uh, me personally, I'm very interested in gaining muscle. So that's where my protein comes in, where someone might not be quite so keen on that. So they wouldn't need so much protein. Yeah. So it really comes from the individual rather than something Absolutely. that's being imposed 100%, on them. 100%. Yeah. So clearly you place a lot of value on what you eat every day. Yes, I do. And do you start the day with a with a breakfast? Yeah, always. It's normally porridge with some fruit. And is that porridge with milk or with water? Water mainly. Mm. <laughs> and then do you, because so, obviously you're busy during the day and yep. into the evening. So do you kind of make a sandwich or a lunch? Um, no, I normally you? then I'll probably have, if I'm on, 
if I'm out and about, I'll probably have a banana with me, a handful of nuts to keep me going for lunch. And then I'm always home for lunch. And that's where I cook the main meal for me and the boys. And that's always from scratch, lots and lots of vegetables. I eat my main meal there then. Um, and, and the rest is there for the boys for when they come home because they all come in different times. And then often I try and leave another portion for myself for the evening so I don't have to cook again. So your classes typically start at sort of half past, half past five. five. So my they? main meal is about one, I would say. And I do eat quite a lot then. I'll have sort of jelly as well and some yogurt. So I'm quite full because I know, you know, I'm going quite a long time without food. I will have a banana and possibly a protein bar about four. And then I'm not eating again till about 8.30 because um, mm. obviously I can't be too full going into classes. But yeah, I need enough to keep me going to do three back to back. Yeah. So when people are going to an exercise class, do you recommend that they eat a carb or a protein before they exercise? Or? Yes, definitely. I mean, never come on a complete empty tummy. You do need to fuel your body. That's really important to give you the energy for the exercise. Obviously, you know, you need to you don't want to be stuffed and uncomfortable. So it's kind of getting that right. Maybe an hour before a banana is always a good thing just to give you that little boost. I guess an hour before to give it time to enter your bloodstream that's it yeah, yeah. okay mm-hmm. yeah because i tend to eat 10 minutes before and i okay. have a banana which my son then did put out to me was totally pointless yeah <laughs> you might want to try and do it a little a, a little earlier if you can but it's you know it's it what it's what works for you there's some people come straight from work they might not have any other option so you, you just need to work around your your lifestyle the best you can so what's your favorite main meal Oh, I love a jambalaya. A jambalaya. Jordan, for those that may not know. Okay, so it's chicken, so chicken breasts with prawns, rice and lots of vegetables. Red peppers in something yeah, like so that? Yeah, so peppers, spring onions, anything really that I've got. Mushrooms are, are always nice in there. Just, just any kind of veg. So is jambalaya, would that be a chilli or a... There is chilli powder mm. in there. I'm really, really big on flavour. So what are the advantages of spicy food, Well, it gives you, you a metabolism a little boost. So right, you're yeah. burning calories a little quicker. We all need that extra bit of help. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so just two more... Um, or three more questions then. If you had to describe yourself as an item of food, what would you choose? Something brightly coloured, I think, sort <laughs> of to represent sunshine, Ooh, happiness. A mango? Yeah, something bright, definitely like that, yeah. I think a mango would, might be good for you then. Fairly thick-skinned, I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but with a rock-solid core. Yeah. <laughs> Great, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> So who has most influenced your eating habits as an adult? Anyone yeah. particular that you'd recommend that we check um, out? But there's um, Mr. Sean T, who I love. He's he's from America. I love Sean T. He's just very, very motivating, very, very encouraging. What one piece of advice would you want to share? What you eat will have a massive impact on your confidence, your self-esteem, your mood, your energy levels. Um, your attitude towards exercise as well. So it's really, really important that you move every day and try and eat as healthy as you can. Allow some treats, but but yeah, and you will just feel a lot better in life and happier.
Excellent. Great. Thanks very much, Carrie. It's been lovely talking to you. You're very welcome. Nice chatting to you, Lynn. Now it's time for Nugget of Knowledge, and I'm joined by Michael, who you will have met in episode one of the What's for Dinner show. Hi, everyone. On the table for discussion is future foods, what we might be eating in 2050. 2050, I think this is going to blow my mind. I think it will, Michael. I've kind of got into this by looking at um, an article from EcoWatch, who are one of the leaders in environmental news. They're saying that many of the staple foods we rely on today could become hard to find and even more expensive in the future due to, guess what, climate change. Mm and current farming methods being unsustainable. Scientists and foodie people the world over are on the search for alternative sources of proteins, carbs, fats, minerals and vitamins. So if you were thinking ahead, Michael, what might you think we would be eating in the coming decade? Well, one of my favourites, I suppose, has always been a banana. Okay. So, you know, I'd like to think that bananas are going to be with us forever and maybe straight bananas. Straight bananas, maybe. Bananas are on the list, but they're headed up as false bananas. What? Not fake bananas. Fake bananas. So, Michael, do you want to know exactly what a false banana is? Absolutely. Well, looking at the Kew Gardens website, they've got quite a bit of information on the false banana. And it's called an NSET, E-N-S-E-T. It's a wild African banana domesticated in the Ethiopian highlands. So the domesticated form is staple food for 20 million people, around a fifth of the entire Ethiopian population. They're a kind of a stubbier looking item than the regular banana. They look a little bit more pear-shaped to me. And they've got a sort of a wrinkly, reddy orange skin rather than the bright yellow banana skin that we're used to. But the yield is much higher and it will tolerate different climate scenarios. Um, So it's predicted to be the banana replacement of the future. What other nuggets do we have on the future? Seaweed, which would be one that you might be interested in since in your... uh, podcast with me you mentioned foraging for dillus so seaweed apparently is something that will become more prominent in the grocery store i like this one this is wild grains and cereals which obviously a lot of people are eating already but it will dramatically increase in future decades I mean, really, they're saying that um, the consumption of red meat needs to reduce by a minimum of 50% uh, by the year 2050. And our consumption of vegetables, cereals, legumes and beans needs to increase 100%. The wheat that we know and love and obviously contributes towards a lot of products in the Western diet is likely to be swapped for more abundant grains, cereals and pseudo cereals. What do you think pseudo-cereals are? I have no idea what a pseudo-cereal is, but I would be very suspicious of one. (laughs) You needn't be because we're eating a lot of them already. Quinoa, buckwheat, chai seeds. They're basically things that can be eaten like grains, but are technically neither a grain nor a grain. So So they're on the market currently, but we need to be eating a lot more of them. The wheat we use regularly has undergone selective breeding over the the years, you know, to increase crop yield and quality and goodness knows what else. So there's very little genetic variation, which makes it vulnerable 
to climate changes. So wheat is likely to be on the way out and will be replaced by pseudo cereals and other grains. And of course, all the um, other stuff that's going on in the world at the moment, the uh, wheat production is is undergoing quite a lot of strain. Well, that's true. Absolutely. The sort of difficulties brought about by the war in Ukraine Mm -hmm. and the exporting of wheat, a little taster of what might be the future by 2050. We'll be eating more quinoa, buckwheat, chai seeds and other varieties that I've not heard of, actually. Amaranth and Fonino. F-O-N-I-O, Fonio, hmm. maybe. Do you think there'll be an issue around pronunciation of these things? I'm sure, well, I've managed to learn how to say quinoa, so anything well, is possible. you say quinoa, I say quinoa. Yeah, well, yeah. you're wrong. Let's call the <laughs> thing on. I also just wanted to give a quick shout out to insects, because they are obviously already being touted as one of the... <laughs> sources of protein of the future. So yeah, already consumed by people around the world. I think we had them when we were somewhere mm, in Thailand. Thailand. I think, yeah. They will become a very important source of protein. And I don't know how they're going to make those palatable, but I'm sure some clever person somewhere will find a way. When we've had them, you know, they're pretty, Horrible. pretty... Um... <laughs> I'm thinking dipped in chocolate. Well, yeah. Or absolutely. smothered in with a good dip. Yogurt. You know, or with something. a good dip, they'll be fine. Exactly. Yeah. You've got to get your dip right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And make sure you get all the legs in. Yeah. Mm, delicious. Now, remember, you can find out more about Carrie's health and fitness at www.carriecrane.com. There you'll be able to see the weekly list of classes and memberships starting at £12.50 per month. And if you mention you heard Carrie on the What's For Dinner show, your first week of classes will be absolutely free. Hey, well, thank you for listening to the What's For Dinner show. If you enjoyed it, why not check out my other episodes available from whoever provides your podcasts, usually Apple, Spotify or Google, but other providers are out there. You can also like and follow the What's For Dinner show on Facebook or find me as Lynn's Food on Instagram. Please recommend the What's For Dinner show to your friends, your family, your work colleagues. Really, I'd love it if you told anyone and everyone, those you bump into on the street, meet down the pub, sit next to on the bus, you get the idea. And finally, shout out to Rick Simmons at Verbu for his ongoing advice and support. And a thank you to Pixel Buy for the jazz music. <laughs>